0: We're going to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm uh, 20. Psalm 20. This is a psalm that uh, was written to the choir master, a psalm of David. Starting at verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven and the saving might of his right hand some trust in chariots and some in horses but we trust in the name of the lord our god they collapse and fall but we rise and stand upright O oh lord save the king may he answer us when we call this is the word of the lord
1: thanks bob Well, we're in the middle of a three-week topical series. Not what we normally do, but uh, I like to do this a couple times a year to address something that we really need to think and talk about. So we're right in the middle of this three-week series called Faith, Family, and Discipleship in the Digital Age. Week two of our series this week. Um, Last week we discussed, if you remember, how technology is so much more than just your cell phone. It's so much more than just this thing. But we talked about that it is a creative Act of using any tool to shape God's creation for practical purposes. So, I mean, your technology, your toothbrush is a technology. It works better than your finger and it does something to help you amplify the strength of your hand to get something done that's really practical. Cleaning your teeth. All the way from your lawnmower, your kitchen mixer. Uh, your um, pen you write with, that you take notes with in service. They're all, at one time, a, a brand new technology. So technology in many ways is something very good we talked about last week and something we should all be thankful for as creative tools have made farming and cooking and medicine and surgery and communication and work and play much more pleasurable, convenient, and efficient. Technology has alleviated massive problems as we think about the world suffering and hunger agricultural uh, uh, towns have always been on the front line of technology and thank the Lord for that uh, as it's helped eradicate world hunger on a lot of levels um, so it's helpful or safety in our lives the safety of airbags and cars and seat belts and planes and all the things we do and we talked about last week that God sometimes uses technology sometimes he squashes it like Tower of Babel but either way, he's sovereign over all of it. Remember the psalm last week, sovereign over the blacksmith and over the ravager even. But our responsibility with technology, we mentioned last week, is to use it wisely like Noah did with the ark, like David did with the sling, partnered with God in faith and trust with their use of technology in a life of obedience and worship. Not as they did in Babel, do you remember? Remember? to defy God, or at the cross of Jesus Christ as they use that rudimentary technology of nails and wooden cross to crucify Jesus. But as I said last week, we should exercise gratitude, wisdom, and worship with our technology usage. It's a quick recap. Well, today we're going to focus a bit more on our usage of technology. How can we use it wisely and in ways that promote our discipleship and our growth to be like Christ and in ways that aid our family and relationships and church. We're going to do this by discussing two competing gospels, I'm calling them today. Two competing gospels, the gospel of technology, because there is one, and the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Christ. Here's some questions for us, a couple, as we start today. What kind of narrative What kind of story, what kind of gospel does the gospel of technology tell us, offer us, ask of us, promise us? And how are our digital technologies, like our phones, our tablets, our laptops, and even our smart TVs, how are they sometimes maybe even working against us at times and distorting what it means to be a human? And I would say even sometimes counterproductive to discipleship and being a a follower of Christ. Well, we all know, and the longer you've lived, you know this more, that technology has changed. The world has changed, and technology has changed the world, hasn't it? I want to show you so that I can make the case that we need to be thinking critically, wisely, and godly about how we use our technology, because there's no question, it is shaping you. It is forming you. And in fact, I would say technology attempts to even disciple you towards something, molding us into something. Here's a picture. Can we do the lights down for this one? I really want people to be able to see this. Here's a picture from 2002 where uh, the crowd is watching Tiger Woods in 2002 tee off at some tournament. He was hugely popular, hugely successful at this time. And there's the crowd you can see there. They're absolutely focused looking at Tiger, using their eyes, maybe holding a cup of coffee, some of them. But they are fixated on that moment, experiencing in real time together and present together. Here's a picture from 2018. Take a look. What do we see? It's totally obvious, right? Everyone is watching it on their screen. It is mediated for them. A phone is between them and the action. Maybe they want to share it or record it or hold on to it or save it, but I bet you that 90% of that group will never watch that clip again, actually. It will disappear into the layers of photos and videos they're storing on the cloud somewhere. You can bring the lights back up, Josh. But you see it. It's a story we now just accept to be normal and natural. If I would have showed you that first picture on the right, you'd probably like, well, yeah, that's the world we live in. But putting it next to that other one, it, it does something, doesn't it? It's a story where we once watched events without a screen in between us and the event, capturing it. Now it's like we have to have them where we once would have conversations without interruptions or a beeping phone on the table or right there in our hand, we now think it's normal to step away from a conversation or to respond to a text or to a call when we're there in the room. We're present but not yet present with the people we're right in front of. We know that feeling. And you all know the sting of being with somebody. and You're like, well, I'm right here. Why is their phone more important than me? Some of your grandkids maybe have felt that some of your kids have maybe felt that as they watch us with our devices present yet not present where we once didn't feel the need to self-publish and promote we now have people all day publishing to social media projecting themselves out into the tech world and yet we're more dissatisfied with our lives and our real life than ever in the history of our nation why Let's talk a little bit this morning about the gospel of technology and how it's shaping us. We're going to look at three areas today. So get your outline, get ready. If you'd like to take notes, have your Bible open. We'll look at some different scriptures today. As we look at our first area, here it is. The gospel of technology, what does it promise you? It promises us control over nature and death. It promises a lot, but this is the big kind of story, the big theme of technology It promises us a sense, a modicum, some amount of control over our life, and in particular, nature and death. You know, just like the story of the gospel of Jesus, which runs along the lines of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, the gospel of technology does as well. It's a story of trying to address the age-old problems, many of them spiritual of meaning, and purpose, and loneliness, and isolation, and death that comes to all. Many of them normal problems or natural problems, problems of nature and aging that wreak havoc on our lives and on our bodies. And as we said, some of these solutions have been great, right? We're not going to say for three weeks, technology bad, uh, you know, get rid of all of it. No, no, no. It's a blessing from the Lord. He uses it. Many of them have been... Uh, blessed our lives. But its it's larger story, as it was even at the Tower of Babel, is a story whereby technology tries to give us a heavenly vision of humanity, yet without God. It tries to bless our lives and take our lives to good places, and it promises us so much thing, that shiny new phone you're going to unwrap. It promises us so much, yet it's a heavenly vision without God. It's a story that seeks to liberate us from our need of God, and sometimes it even feeds our deepest idols we're going to talk about this morning. There's this overarching story or narrative to, to our technology that says, we can help you escape uh, unproductive life, a boring life, a life where you feel disconnected. Uh, we can help you feel better about yourself and your future. All you have to do is watch uh, a Mac advertisements or some computer advertisements or or um, promotional videos for different types of technology, or even a new car, you know? New cars always promise a glamorous life, either that or safety, two things. Glamor or safety, those are the two things they promote cars with. We can deliver you, we can come through for you with this product. That we can overcome nature and bodily limitations, and now today, even this planet itself. Elon Musk of Tesla and SpaceX was asked, what will make the world a better place? And here's how he responded. To wake up in the morning and look forward to a future where we are a spacefaring civilization out among the stars, it's very exciting. Whereas if you knew we were forever confined to Earth, that would be very sad. <laughs> now, let me say something, because I'm also pro-technology in some ways. There's nothing inherently wrong with space exploration. And you could actually make a biblical argument that part of the creation mandate is to explore God's expansive creation. And that's pretty incredible that some of you watched the moon landing live on TV. So I'm not saying that's just inherently wrong or bad. But you see here, the gospel that Musk has bought into is what gets him out of the bed in the morning. The opportunity to get away from this planet, to to, to reach beyond The confines of what it means to be a human as God has defined it and put us in the place where he wants us to live best. The confines of earth. That's the good news here. That's the gospel for Musk. Escape this planet. It's what gets him out of bed in the morning. The gospel of technology. Musk is kind of saying, we need a better ark. (laughs) A better boat than Noah had to save ourselves. And it'd be really sad if we couldn't. See how that's a gospel? It's a story. It's a narrative. It's a heavenly vision of humanity without God. I mean, look, as we seek to be secular as a nation, which is happening, that doesn't mean we stop being religious as people. We just buy into a different gospel, a different story. Technology, as we said, tries to give us that heavenly vision of humanity without God. It wants to offer, as Musk said, salvation and escape of humanity apart from God. Much like the Tower of Babel, wasn't it? Let's build this and be great. It preaches comfort and progress and efficiency and effectiveness and speed. And newer is always what? Better. It also preaches an eschatology, which is an end times, the restoration of the gospel. Freedom from the body freedom from death and the planet. But this is nothing new, actually. Hannah Arendt, who was a philosopher in the 50s, she was commenting on humanity's response to uh, Sputnik, which I think Russia launched, right? The first satellite into space. And she said, when it was launched in the 1950s, we had this collective uh, relief of man's first step to escape this planet. It's been around for a long time. That's not just a new thought. There's a story we've all bought into that technology will give us a liberation, a freedom, a heavenly vision of life without God. But don't think we haven't imbibed a little bit of that ourselves. We have. We've all bought into that, that idea that technology will free us. Think for a moment as just an example of this, the transgender movement that's taken place in our country and wreaking havoc on the lives of children and young adults It's the natural result. We actually shouldn't be surprised. It is the natural result of a gospel of technology that says our body is more like a machine, that we can alter and change as autonomous individuals. We should be able to do that, to be freed up to be who you want to be. Let us help you do that. That didn't just happen overnight, did it? That is a story, a narrative, a gospel that has shaped our culture to where now we think it's, many people think it's normal and natural just to do this. But back to some of those promises of the gospel of tech that we've all bought into, like speed and efficiency and productivity and getting things done that all the technology promises to help us with, and in some ways it does. But we have to ask ourselves questions. How do those fit with the spiritual practices of being a follower of Christ? Train yourself for godliness, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Wow, a lot of technology gives us a bunch of those, doesn't it? (laughs) Irreverent silly myths we get through our news feeds. Train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is some value, godliness is of value in every way, and it holds promises for this life and the life to come. How does your technology work against that in your day-to-day life? Or how about this one? All scripture. All scripture is important. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching. It'll transform your life so it'll equip you to do all this good stuff. How does your technology or your pool to have, look at your phone for the first thing in the morning rather than just even five minutes with the word of God? Well, maybe you read the word of God on your phone, and that's pretty good. I'd make the case it can't compete with an actual hard copy, but that's a different story for a different time. Or how about this? Spiritual discipline. Meditate day and night on the law of the lord psalm one says how does the frantic distraction and inability to concentrate that these phones have done and transformed our minds as they've done science has very clearly documented this these are changing the way we're able to focus how does it get in the way of psalm one being a person who knows how to pause and stop and meditate, really chew on the word of God when this is dinging every 15 seconds and you touch it like 50 times an hour, most people do, something like that. How does it get in the way of that? Or or praying without ceasing, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. These are slow, (laughs) contemplative practices that are counter to the gospel of technology. Do you see that? These are different. How about be still and know that I am God? Yeah. Or the even bigger problem. When we begin to trust in those things, those promises that the gospel of technology makes us, that's what, the God, that's what the psalmist knew in Psalm 20 that Bob read today. We begin to trust in them, he said in verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, you, me, me, I, us, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What's he saying there? David was writing that psalm and the the thoughts of war and the danger of war and the technology of war. And he knew those were good things and yet he didn't trust them. But what the psalmist is saying is that we've always been tempted to believe in another gospel. This was the gospel of technology. Chariots were the tanks of their time. Or better yet, um, what do we have now, the uh, unmanned drones, the best technology today for warfare? Uh, They would have been, they were manned, obviously, chariots, but you get what I'm saying. They were the best technology of their time. uh, David's saying, in machines we trust. There's temptation. In machines we trust. And David writes this psalm as a grown man, skilled in the art of war and power and weaponry. And those things were useful to him. From the time he used the sling to later in life, I'm sure he was armed with much more elaborate technology, like the, like the giant he defeated. And they're not bad in and of themselves, but his confidence was not in those things. Those things. His confidence was in God. As his people face battle, he ultimately knows God is all over all those things, and he is the one ultimately to be trusted, but the temptation's always there to trust in the chariot and the horse. A false gospel, something other than our need of grace and mercy and forgiveness. It's a way to work ourselves, productivity, efficiency out of the hole rather than trusting the name of the Lord. So tempting to fall to that, the gospel of tech. Here's why, because it, it, it uniquely preys upon our idols. Technology can become an idol and feed our existing idols. It's another sub-point there. Let's talk just for a minute about the heart and technology. Our hearts and technology. Let me grab some water. Because it's important as we think about technology to think about what is our heart and what technology does to us. Um, The cell phone has become... Um, Mythic, sociologists call it. It's become mythic. And by that, they just mean it is a technology that's become so embedded in our life, so embedded in our day-to-day life, that we can't imagine life without it now. We just can't imagine living a day without it. And in fact, it's documented that great levels of anxiety and great levels of cortisol raise in our body when we find ourselves without it. It's true. It's true. It's true, it's become mythic. It's so embedded we can't imagine life without it. Here's some stats just to help you see that we are are woven into our technology. Global average is six hours, 58 minutes of screen time per day. Average American is seven hours and four minutes looking at a screen each day. That jumps up kind of the younger you get, especially in the teenage years. South Africa, interesting, I don't know why. Highest screen usage in all the world, 10 plus hours a day, no idea why but that's the case. Almost half, that's 49% of zero to two-year-olds, interact with smartphones. Gen Z averages around nine hours of screen time per day. 78% of women spend more time with their phones than with their romantic partners. On average, Americans check their phones 344 times per day, once every four minutes per survey of 1,000 adults. 71% of us check our phones as soon as we wake up. Anyone guilty? I'm raising my hand. There are four of us. Good job. The rest of you are liars. Okay. (laughs) We do that, don't you? And 74% of us can't leave our phones at home without feeling uncomfortable. It's phone anxiety. You see, we can't imagine life. It's mythic. There it is. We cannot imagine our life anymore without all our digital screens. And now we kind of just say, well, that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. And, you know, we start to get to a place where we're like, maybe it's always been this way it always just been this way? That's what happens when our te- technology becomes mythic. Seems easier than what happens is then, this is important. It seems easier than just to change our life to adapt to it rather than asking it to adapt to us. That's the problem for discipleship. We must assume, well, I must change. It's in the water everywhere. So I must change and the tech can't be part of the problem. And it shapes us, and it changes us, and it fashions us in its image. There's that picture. That is a people fashioned in the image of this thing. I'm not saying it's wrong to take a picture, right? Or wrong to record something. Tiger's awesome, and it probably was a moment of a lifetime. But, I mean, the amount of people, everyone there has it out. Maybe there's a couple, but pretty much everybody. It can become an idol is what I'm saying. So what is an idol? We think statues in the Bible these big stone things or or altars. But Tim Keller, who passed this year, who I love, described it as anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination. There's the story, the story of tech. Anything that uh, absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you, what only God can give you, an escape, technology gospel. Anything so central and essential to your life, he said, That should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. And I would even say it's a little more subtle than that. An idol is anything that you have that when it's threatened, it causes you to respond sinfully. That's an idol. So not only does technology become an idol, but it feeds our existing idols. What do I mean by that? The phone has a secondary function where we have idols. So where you have an idol of sex, the phone consumes that person and makes available all kinds of content and feeds our lust. Where money is an idol, online gambling is rampant, isn't it? By a click. Where things are an idol, online shopping with a click. Where looks are an idol, social media propels our image to the world and the filters we can use to change and make ourselves look different or younger. Where knowledge is an idol, 24-hour availability of all news and info we could ever want. We have to be aware of how our tech offers us another gospel and feeds our idols. The second area I want to talk about today, that's our first with the gospel of technology, is connectivity and communication. Here's our second one. The gospel of technology, while connecting us in some really amazing ways, we're trying to be balanced in this series, it also mediates our communication. We're going to talk about this. More of our life now than ever, as you saw those golf people watching the golf uh, golfer Tiger Woods, more of our life now is mediated through technology than ever. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it's done some amazing things and how it connects us, allows us to experience and see things we never would have seen before, allows us to FaceTime with grandparents across the country, My kids have benefited from that, that's amazing. Or friends around the world, some of you have. We've overcome great limitations with mediated communication. And isn't that what the best thing, the best of technology helps us overcome great limitations and that's what good technology does. And yet I wanna make the case here for just a moment that mediated communication, and by that I mean with something in between us and another person is inferior. An inferior type of communication and actually works against discipleship and our call to follow Jesus. So let's talk about the dehumanizing nature of mediation. To have something mediated just means that it stands between you and something else. So it's something between you and another person or between you and something else, and in between. Back to our Tiger Woods picture. It's a mediated experience. It's filtered through the screen. The phone is between them and what's actually happening. Um, or Much like our talking on the phone or FaceTime or texting, those are all mediated forms of communication. And as I said, while those can be useful and helpful and necessary at times, they do contain a dehumanizing nature. How do we know this? Well, here's the first thing to think about. The more mediated your communication is, the less it asks of you. It's static, it's disembodied. There's no inflection or tone, especially texting, or facial expressions, no hand gestures, and actually there's a lot less risk the more mediated the communication is. How many times have you edited a text at times? I don't wanna say it that way. I don't wanna say it that way either. I really don't wanna say it that way. We edit our text like 10 times before we can send it. And you know the best kind of relationships you've had, the best moments you've had in a relationship are face-to-face. In fact, it's what we were made for, being made in God's image. The Bible does show us this, as we'll see in a minute, that mediation is absolutely necessary, actually, for us to have a relationship with God this was a concession. It was always a concession. And it was a consequence because of our sin. We had to have mediation. But, so we know that it asks less of us. But second, it wasn't always like that. Communication with God was immediate. Do you know that? In the garden. Have you ever considered what it was like before the fall for Adam and Eve to walk in the garden and talk with God as scripture says in Genesis 3, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So that's what it was like. What well, Christian hasn't read that and had some pang of sorrow wondering, like what would that have been like to be face to face with God? Yet the verse goes on, after disobeying God, they hide. And now they're afraid of his face. In fact, now you can't see his face without mediation. In fact, what does God do? He even mediates for them. He covers them with something, doesn't he? Huh, that's interesting. And in between, their nakedness now is covered. and A mediator. Those animal skins. But that's what we desire. Because that's what we were made for. To walk in the garden of God in the cool of the day with him face to face. Face-to-face is better. But now God would have to mediate to overcome the limitation, the roadblock of their sin, as they hid themselves from God and hid themselves behind those leaves. And so mediators come. Think of the Old Testament now. We've got to have a go between Moses, Joshua, the priests, the prophets, the judges. That's what those were. Those were mediators between God and humanity because now sin had tarnished everything. His holy character could not be directly accessible in their presence or what would happen? Death. Our sin is what caused a mediation between God. Think of Moses back in the Old Testament. He wanted, God, let me see your face. My heart longs for it. I know it was what they had in the garden. Let me see your face. And what does God say? Yeah, You don't know what you're asking for. We can't FaceTime, Moses. (laughs) You got to hide your face so I can get by. Then you can get a little glimpse of me, but the rock is going to kind of give you some shelter, a mediator. But face-to-face was always better with God. Uh, First John, John writes, Beloved, we're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. John knows face to face is better with God and also with humans. This is the medium God gave us to interact through, right? This is it. The writers of the New Testament letters knew this as well. Their letter was a media. It was a mediated communication. It was a technology, even, you might say, at that time, to amplify Paul's presence. He couldn't be there, but the letter could be there. His voice couldn't be there, but the letter could be there. It served a pu- purpose, and yet Paul says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person and in heart, with great desire, or excuse me, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you, What? Face to face. Or as John wrote in 3rd John, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write it in pen and ink. Why? Because I hope to soon see you and we'll talk face to face. We need to be face to face, to grow in relationship and as disciples, and that's why growth groups and DNA groups and fellowship time in the gathering place and coffee with your brother or sister in Christ is so important how you were wired and designed. As I said, this face is our mediator through which God wants us to communicate. So what do we do? What do we do? It's a big challenge, isn't it? We know tech is good. It can be good. We know tech is helpful. We know also that tech needs its proper place in our life and it can consume us and shape us and become an idol and it can be dehumanizing. So here's what I uh, suggest. Suggestion from the tech conference. Dave and I went to a professor there that was talking to us about tech and our life. Here's my suggestion. Experiment. A posture of experimenting. Do some experimenting to disrupt a little bit your digital habits. How do you do that? Well, you develop some habits and practices and routines that push back against the tech that has crept into every area and moment of your daily life. So I'm not saying throw out your phone, your TV, your game console, your computer, and everything in your life. I'm not saying that. I don't know if that'd even be possible. And yet, Jesus says, cut off a hand if it's causing you to sin. So for some, that might be an option to go back to a dumb phone, I guess. (laughs) Not a smartphone. (laughs) We wouldn't call your phone a dumb phone if you did that. You force some disruption into your tech life. You make it happen. There was a time when I was 15 years old, and one of my parents forgot to pay the cable bill. Remember back when TV was always through a wire from your TV that went from the wall to your TV, off to the magic land where all the shows came from? Um, They forgot to pay the cable bill. And I turned on the TV, nothing. It was nothing. They told my parents, like, oh. We forgot to pay the bill. Oh, thanks, Mom, Dad. Uh, So all of a sudden, our, our tech was gone. It was totally disrupted. TV was totally gone out of our life. And I will tell you, the first week, I think I had night sweats. I mean, it was bad. I was irritable. I was antsy. I was anxious. I was angry. I want TV. It's always been in my life. I want it back. By week two, hmm, what am I doing reading this book on my bed? what am I doing? Ugh, you know, like I was doing things that I never would have done had I still had that tech daily available. Uh, after two weeks, I had gotten out of the habit. I wasn't craving it. I was doing other things. Now, of course, it got turned back on and I sat there drooling for a week straight in front of the TV. But there was a disruption So here's my recommendation. Can you intentionally experiment and create some sacred space or times in your life that are tech free? Tech free. Uh, uh, What will God do? I don't know. That's an experiment. What will He do? What will be the result? I'm sure something good. However, first, you will freak out, (laughs) you will have anxiety, you might find yourself clawing at the walls. You might. What if you just took some baby steps to experiment and just see what happened? What if, here's a few. What if you waited 15 minutes in the morning before checking your phone? What would happen? I don't know, you gotta try. What if you read a book instead of your phone in bed for the last 15 minutes of the night? Here's one. What if you charged your phone in the kitchen rather than on your nightstand right there? I don't know, but it's worth a try. It's worth a try. What if you kept the dinner table a tech-free zone? And I would recommend all families, all couples, even empty nesters, your dinner table, it should be a tech-free zone, like off limits. What if I turned off my email on my phone for the weekend? Ooh, yeah, I heard that. I feel the same way. I heard that. Well, it would be there when you got back. I can guarantee you that. What if instead of silencing your phone when you came into church, what if you actually turned it off entirely? Whoa. Would that make you experience this moment differently? I think it might, actually. What if you designated Monday nights as a game night for your family? What if you spent 15 minutes in silence driving rather than turning on that podcast you're so used to? What if you set a time limit on the Instagram app? That it was shut down after a certain amount of time. Or cable news, watching it every other night rather than every night. What would happen? Maybe filling that 15 minutes with some prayer or Bible reading. I don't know, but I think probably some good things would happen if we experimented. Or joined a DNA group or a growth group. Or stayed a few minutes longer in the gathering place. Or joined one of our men's group or Bible study. You see what I'm saying? It's face-to-face. Experiment. You might find something good. But here's what i got to say. we got to do this. We've got to push back as disciples. And we got to do it together. Again, I'm not saying throw your phone, your computer out. Just make a little space in your life. But we also need to disrupt the test tech gospel with the only true one by reminding ourselves what that promises. Here's our third area we'll close with. Only the true gospel in Jesus Christ defeats death and mediates the face of God to us. In the incarnation, Jesus became the embodied man, didn't he? Gospel of John opens with those great words. He became flesh. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. He became the embodied man. Why? So that he could love those people face to face and see them and look at them with compassion and love, and tenderness, and acceptance. He became the embodied man. He became the immediate man. Not mediated, as he came in close proximity to humanity. No mediation, just Jesus living amongst us. He came. But not just that, he came to do something, didn't he? To live with us, but also to die for us as he defeated sin and death. Death, the greatest thing that the gospel of technology wants to conquer. You know, someday our brains might be, they might live on machines, they might. I hope you don't choose to do that, but that is potentially something that could happen, brains living on machines one day. We may crack the 100 year lifespan for most people, relatively soon, But even that would only prolong life. That wouldn't defeat death, would it? And it would never take away our sin, would it? And I'll tell you this, a computer will never die for you. (laughs) A cell phone will never die for you. In fact, the creators actually of these things want to exploit you, monetize you with Algorithms. They don't care about seeing your face. They just want to see the faces on those dollar bills. That's what they're doing. The Apple phone, do you know it's often called the Jesus phone? In tech reviews and magazines. Because of the religious fervor that it, 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 it excites and the promises it makes for you. It's talked about many times the term, terms of the second coming. A new one is coming. The second coming. But it'll never die for you. Only a person will do that. This is the true gospel we need, the mediator, Jesus Christ, to be the in-between, the go-between between God and us. First Timothy, there is one God, not the iPhone. There is one mediator, not FaceTime, between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. How does he mediate? Well, we said first he comes in a body, And second, he dies for us by taking on God's wrath, by taking on our punishment. He's a mediator. He's the ultimate go-between. He's the bridge over the Grand Canyon. He brings back the distance between us and God and closes the gap and takes our hearts back to our true home, walking in the garden with God. He gives us his righteousness when we trust him. So that when God looks at us, what does he see? He looks at us with a face of joy and beauty and pleasure and delight because he sees Christ's righteousness on you. That's what the mediator does that an iPhone could never do for you. He ascended to heaven and he constantly mediates. You know that? Hebrews 7 says he constantly, he lives for it to mediate for you so that God can look on you with joy. That's the good news. And the end of that good news, the eschatology of the gospel, is that he will make you perfectly holy someday, so that when Jesus comes for us, what does Revelation say? Ah, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. No iPhone, no FaceTime necessary, no screen needed, just the face of Jesus. Jesus, we want to be a people that pushes back against our technology, uses it for good means, but also puts it in its proper perspective. May we not be those who fall prey to the idolatry of our devices or what they idolatries they uh, enhance and promote. May we remember that face-to-face is how you've made us and what you've made us for. And Christ, may we have a vision of your face looking at us with pure delight and joy because you are our mediator. We respond now in worship in Jesus' name, amen.